Section 36 of Shakespeare Identified. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Shakespeare Identified in Edward de Vere by J. Thomas Looney. Section 36 Manhood of de Vere, Part 6. After the year 1587, we lose distinct traces of Oxford's dramatic activity, and in reference to this, we must now draw attention to an important set of considerations in which the poet Edmund Spencer is implicated. In the year 1590, by which time the middle period of De Vere's life may be said to have closed, when though only forty years of age, he seemed to have quite dropped from public view, and when William Shakespeare, then aged twenty-six, was either establishing himself or being established by unknown patrons in the dramatic world, Edmund Spencer published his Tears of the Muses. These are full of lamentations over returning barbarism and ignorance, and the slight account made by those in power of the gifts and the arts of the writer, the poet, and the dramatist. Church, Life of Spencer. In this poem occur some stanzas which Dryden in his day and Charles and Mary Cowden Clark in more recent times have appropriated to William Shakespeare, but which notwithstanding this have been more or less a puzzle to literary men ever since they were written. Most writers on either Spencer or Shakespeare seem to feel it a duty to say something about them. The matter is therefore of extreme importance as a question of Elizabethan literature quite apart from the Shakespeare problem and will necessitate a somewhat exhaustive statement. The following are the most important stanzas in the set. All these and all that else the comic stage with seasoned wit and goodly pleasance graced by which man's life in his likest image was limbed forth are wholly now defaced and those sweet wits which want the like to frame are now despised and made a laughing game and he the man whom nature's self had made to mock herself and truth to imitate with kindly counter under mimic shade our pleasant willie ah is dead of late with whom all joy and jolly merriment is also deaded and in dolor drent but that same gentle spirit from whose pen large streams of honey and sweet nectar flow scorning the boldness of such base-born men which dare their follies forth so rashly throw doth rather choose to sit in idle cell than so himself to mockery to sell first of all the expression dead of late it has been remarked by others means not that he is literally dead but that he is in retirement this reading is not only necessary to make it fit in with what follows to sit in idle cell but is also supported by other passages in the same writer the reference is evidently to someone who having been prominent in the writing of poetry and in connection with dramatic comedy had lately not been much in evidence whilst therefore the laudatory expressions are such as could only be applied appropriately to shakespeare the date of publication makes it impossible that they should have any reference to the man william shakespeare at the same time the name willie only serves to deepen the mystery in the year fifteen ninety the stratford man was only twenty-six years of age and was just making his appearance in the dramatic world he had therefore no great career behind him from which to retire whereas the willie referred to in spencer's poem had evidently already held a prominent position in the world of poetry and drama 
dean church in his life of spencer proposes a solution the weakness of which he himself fully recognizes he mentions that sir philip sidney had somewhere been spoken of as willie and thinks that the verses may allude to him to this theory he recognizes two very vital objections in the first place sir philip sidney had never attempted anything in the dramatic line except some masking performances and to these the laudatory expressions would be he says an extravagant compliment they would however be much more than this a grotesque distortion of the english language would be a more accurate description the second great difficulty of the theory is this instead of sir philip sidney being in retirement in fifteen ninety he had already been actually dead for nearly four years this further difficulty he thinks might be got over by supposing that the work had been written some years earlier and had been kept back until fifteen ninety to antedate the work to such an extent as to make the stanzas applicable to the events of sidney's life would throw out of gear the whole sequence of the production of spencer's works and the personal illusions they contain as well as the relation of his works to the events of his own life some other solution of the problem must therefore be sought the key to this mystery we believe is to be found in a work of spencer's published in the early years of the particular period of de vere's life with which we are at present occupied in december fifteen seventy nine spencer issued his first considerable work the shepherd's calendar now to those who are not specially students of elizabethan literature that is to say to the great mass of english readers to say nothing of the rest of the world the shepherd's calendar needs some little explanation this set of poems is simply a series of burlesques upon prominent men of the day who appear in the guise of shepherds and who express themselves under disguises more or less penetrable in some cases the name given to them suggests their real names in other cases there is no suggestiveness about them in some cases it is quite understood whom they represent in others they remain as yet undistinguished spencer himself appears as colin clout gabriel harvey as hobbinall archbishop grindal as algerand the formation of the last two names from those of their prototypes will be readily perceived looking over the names of the various shepherds we find that there is indeed one called willie so that when in fifteen ninety spencer speaks of the willie from whose pen large streams of honey and sweet nectar flow it is natural to suppose that in accordance with his practice in other cases he was carrying forward the same person as the one who had figured in the fifteen seventy nine poem under that name but who in the meantime had given such a manifestation of his powers that by the year fifteen ninety he was able to speak of him in terms which as dean church remarks we nowadays consider and as dryden in his day considered were only applicable to shakespeare it has therefore been a matter of considerable surprise that notwithstanding the great amount of attention that has been paid by writers on elizabethan literature to the question of who it was that spencer meant by willie in the above verses it never seems to have occurred to anyone to connect him with the willie who appears in spencer's earlier poems yet the very manner in which he casually introduces the name is suggestive of an allusion to his first great work the question then which concerns us immediately is this what are the probabilities that the willie in the shepherd's calendar was the earl of oxford and if a strong case can be made out for such an identification we shall be entitled also to claim for him the illusion in the tears of the muse especially if the later representation of willie fits in with the special circumstances of oxford at the later date 
we shall also have made an important contribution to the evidence that oxford was shakespeare william shakespeare of stratford we point out in passing was a mere boy of fourteen at the time when spencer's willie makes his appearance in elizabethan poetry on turning to the poems in the shepherd's calendar we find that willie figures prominently in two of them under the month of march his role is somewhat subordinate but under the month of august he appears in what is probably the most widely known and the best executed of the series having found its way into modern anthologies its superior quality suggesting its being one of the latest composed of the set this piece is neither more nor less than a verse-making contest between two rival poets named willie and perigo in view therefore of the general character of the work its deliberate representation of eminent contemporaries taken along with the literary situation at the time the poetic rivalry between philip sidney and the earl of oxford there is to begin with something more than a mere presumption that the two rival poets willie and perigo were oxford and sidney we therefore ask the reader to recall oxford's verse beginning were i a king and sidney's rejoinder wert thou a king already quoted in this chapter verses which from subsequent developments must have been written shortly before spencer's poem was published then let him turn to this poem of spencer's and read it with the other verse-making episode in mind it plunges immediately by its opening lines into the cause of their antagonism tell me perigo wherefore with mine thou dare thy music match and this he follows up with a further challenge whether in rhymes with me thou dare strive then as if to put the matter of identification beyond doubt a third party called cuddy is introduced as an arbitrator and he assumes office with the irrelevant remark what a judge were cuddy for a king if any doubt remained as to whether or not the two shepherds represented oxford and philip sidney it ought to be quite removed by the closing part of the poem after the competition cuddy must needs finish up with some verses which he claims to have gotten from colin clout spencer these are not even doggerel in the place of rhymes he simply repeats the same words over and over again and these together with the other words and phrases that make up the verses form but a verbal jumble composed of characteristic words from the poems of the two rival writers to appreciate all the fun of cuddy's lines one's mind must have been in some measure steeped in the two sets of poems if however before reading cuddy's verses the reader will turn to the last stanza quoted in the preceding chapter and also note the few phrases we subjoin here from oxford's and sidney's early poems he may be able to enter into the humor of cuddy's doleful verse oxford the more my plaints i do resound the less she pities me the trickling tears that fall adown my cheeks help ye that are a want to wail ye howling hounds of hell help man help beast help birds and worms that on the earth do toil sydney thus parting thus my chiefest part i part alas sweet brooks do in my tears augment a simple soul should breed so mixed woe love bread my smart void house bread nature are all words which seem to stand forth in sydney's somewhat limited vocabulary even in the competition itself there is a frequent suggestion of the distinctive expressions of the two men one example of each will suffice from a poem by sydney such are these two you scarce can tell which is the daintier bonnie bell spencer's poem i saw the bouncing bella bone hey ho the bonnie bell from a poem by oxford patience perforce is such a pinching pain 
spencer's poem but whether in painful love i pine hey ho the pinching pain a careful weighing of this poem can leave but little doubt as to the identity of willie and perigot with oxford and philip sidney the only question is whether willie is oxford or sidney if we associate the contest in spencer's poem with sidney's matching of oxford's verse as we may very reasonably do then willie is oxford for it is willie who finds fault with perigo for matching his music and challenges him on that account to another matching of rhymes this then is the position the circumstances of oxford fit in with and afford a very strong presumption of his being the historic prototype of spencer's willie in the early poem the shepherd's calendar between the writing of this poem and the writing of the tears of the muses oxford had been engaged in just those dramatic activities that had made his name in the precise department comedy in which spencer's willie had evidently won renown and at the time when the tears of the muses was written oxford had withdrawn apparently from dramatic activity and was seemingly sitting in idle cell precisely as spencer describes willie to be doing are we to believe that all this is a series of meaningless coincidences minor points in corroboration of the theory that oxford and spencer's willie are one and the same person may be noticed the shepherd willie in the other poem in which he appears remarks alas at home i have a sire a stepdane eke as hot as fire that dulia days counts mine sheep day by day keeps close watch over me and my affairs the reference to oxford's domestic position to the surveillance exercised by burley and to the irascible lady burley is obvious then in spencer's sonnet to the earl of oxford which occupies a prominent position amongst those with which he prefaces the fairy queen he puts special emphasis upon oxford's ancient and noble lineage we find the same note reflected in the verses in the tears of the muses referring to willie whom he represents as scorning the boldness of base-born men from this it is evident that willie was not base-born but rather a man distinguished for his high birth we have every reason to believe then that we have not only solved the long-standing mystery of the willie in the tears of the muses but have incidentally secured the testimony of no less an authority than the poet spencer that the powers of edward de vere were recognized to be such as to justify his being described in terms which are said to be only applicable to shakespeare the fact that a solution proposed for one problem furnishes incidentally a reasonable solution to another is additional evidence in its favor the testimony is also valuable as showing that notwithstanding the non-appearance of work avowedly from his pen he had given evidence not of a falling off but of such a development of his powers as to create a marked impression in the mind of his great contemporary it is evidence too that he had produced much more poetry than we have under his own name for the few short lyrics can hardly be described as large streams the solution of this mystery enables us moreover to add another link to our chain of interesting evidence for we find that some important verses which are supposed by several writers to have reference to shakespeare are found on examination actually to refer to edward de vere earl of oxford whilst the personal description they give is strikingly suggestive of baroon in love's labors lost finally the two sets of references the one appearing in fifteen seventy nine and the other in fifteen ninety link together the opening and the closing phases of this middle period of his life the former presenting him as a poet 
the latter as a dramatist together help to make good the claim we have made for him that he is the personal embodiment of the great literary transition by which the lyric poetry of the earlier days of queen elizabeth's reign merged into the drama of her later years thus we get a sense both of the literary unity of the times and of the great and consistent unity of his own career assuming that we have here the correct interpretations of these allusions there is every reason to believe that we have their counterpart in the writings of shakespeare the two enigmatical sonnets in which he plays upon the word will finish with the striking and emphatic sentence for my name is will had these words been written by a man whose real name was william like the stratford man they would have been as puerile as anything in english literature had they contained a direct reference to his nom de plume they would have been only slightly better in this respect we have good reason moreover for supposing that the particular sonnets were written before the shakespeare mask was assumed fifteen ninety three whether this is so or not the particular words quoted point no doubt to some hidden significance if then we are permitted to suppose that shakespeare was alluding to the willy in the poems of the great contemporary we shall have in these words nothing less than a direct confession from the great dramatist that he was none other than the earl of oxford before leaving this point we must not overlook the statement made by dean church that sidney had elsewhere been referred to as willy no reference is given but we take it to be an allusion to a poem which appeared in davison's poetical rhapsody sixteen o two another of the numerous miscellaneous collections of poetry in which much of the elizabethan work has been preserved there sidney's death is mourned as the death of willie it is only in the first edition however that this appears in later editions this is altered as though the writer or editors had had their attention drawn to a mistake a possible misreading of spencer's earliest work whilst the following footnote by the modern editor appears i cannot recall any other poem in which the name willie is given to sidney although first appearing in sixteen o two it is mentioned that the poem had been written a long while ago being an obituary work it is natural to suppose that it was written shortly after the death of sidney fifteen eighty six seeing then that the writer of the poem would at that time have only the shepherd's calendar to go upon the mistake was partly excusable the publication of the tears of the muses in fifteen ninety would furnish the grounds for the subsequent correction of the mistake which had evidently been overlooked in the first printing at the time when the tears of the muses was published the earl of oxford did certainly appear to be sitting in idle cell it is not impossible that the poem of spencer's may have revived his literary activity or it may have been that he was even at the time deeply immersed in the literary work which was soon to burst upon the country after such a preparation as he had undergone we believe that such freedom from practical work as is implied in the words to sit in idle cell is just what was needed for the production of the shakespearean dramas and places that production for the first time on a really rational basis it remains therefore to consider the third or final stage of his career that which synchronizes generally with the period of the appearance of these works in bringing this chapter to a close we would urge the extreme importance of the matter it contains the chapter in which we deal with the lyric poetry of edward de vere and this chapter in which his dramatic relationships are examined must by the nature of the case form the principal foundations of our constructive argument End of section 36